Welcome to Closely Related, an advice podcast for all of your questions about relationships, careers, and life. I'm Hannah Strom. And I'm Samantha Strom, and we are actually identical twins. I'm a therapist, and I specialize in sex and relationships. And I'm a career and leadership coach. You've written in with your questions, and we're here to share our professional insights and tell you that we've been there too. All right, let's do this. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to our second ever podcast episode of Closely Related. Woohoo! You you have returned or you are just starting and we're so excited to be back and to have you back. Yes, we love you just as much if this is your first episode or your second episode. Tune in. Or if you're a loyal, long-time listener of the show. Yes, <laughs> the, the OG. <laughs> Soon we'll have a name for you. That's what all the cool podcasts have. Yeah, you can't fake the name, though, because then it's it's too much. So we'll just have to be. Okay, well, I was about there. to come up with a fake name, so glad <laughs> you got me. <laughs> okay, so... Our, this episode is going to be about feedback. So this is a topic near and dear to my heart in terms of a love-hate relationship with feedback that I have. Um, it is, I'll talk more about this, but it's definitely not a strength for me. And it's something that in a lot of my coaching relationships, some aspect of feedback comes up. And I kind of thought, of, I was thinking about it, and I feel like it's kind of like the dentist when you go and they're like, so how often do you floss? And you're like, um, sometimes, right? Like, maybe. And it's kind of the same thing because a lot of people struggle with someone else, right? It's my manager sucks and there's this horrible boss, or my direct report doesn't do what they're supposed to do, or my coworker is so frustrating. And when I ask what feedback have you given them? The answer is kind of similar to the floss of, "Mm, they should know. It should be clear from some things I've said or, well, kind of, or this one time I, you know, it's always these kind of hedgy, like the, the answer is you haven't, you haven't clearly said, here's what's frustrating me and why. Just right. I haven't flossed. (laughs) new year's resolution 2017 in quarantine i've actually started to floss and i gotta say i feel pretty virtuous every morning so you now okay so we have an older brother too and our older brother zach is like really good at flossing like he'll just do it like when we're you know hanging out like watching tv he just will just bust out the floss and he'll he's like yeah you know twice a day and i'm like I mean, we're related, so I guess I have it in me somehow, but it doesn't feel like it's genetically available to me. So um, now both my siblings floss, so the shame is real. Yes, yes. I think through this podcast, we're learning that Zach will just become this like beacon of perfection. And he's older, in case you were yeah, not here. He's, and he's perfect so, by the way we yeah. talk about him. uh okay so speaking of us um i grew up absolutely being terrified of feedback and i think 
so I was the kind of kid, you know, I would cry when I got an A minus, except we went to a lovely Quaker school that didn't have grades. So we got check, check minus, check plus. So mainly just a check, you know, a check was meant I was a failure. And, you know, it was bad. I can really, (laughs) I can remember very vividly in fifth grade when my teacher gave me some feedback and I just can remember basically every word of that conversation and how unfair it was and still is, and I'm still bitter about it. So no big deal. So I've always struggled with this and I did realize along the way throughout my life that feedback is really important and it's, you know, it's literally in like every leadership book that you need to give and receive feedback. And I did, when I started to get into the workforce, I could really see how feedback was really important. When managers made decisions and asked people for their feedback, they were a lot more engaged. They felt a lot more included. And when they didn't, people rebelled or talked behind the leader's back or thought they were doing a really bad job. So I could definitely see how important it was. And I kind of had to level with myself. You know, Sam, you've got to get better about this. You can't be scared every time a manager says, I have some feedback for you or cry in the bathroom after they give it to you. So knew I had to improve. Um, How did you feel, Han, about feedback growing up? Who, like as you're talking and you're talking about how you've like come to terms with feedback, I'm like, damn, have I done that? Like, I (laughs) don't know. Feedback is so terrible. Like, I, I think I do it for my job but like it's so hard like I I think for me you know every time you know feedback I think can be pretty broad but like you know it could also be like any kind of like conflict or confrontation um I can just I I find this instinct to just avoid like yeah. So for example, when I go on a first date and I'm not feeling it and they text me the next day, I have this overwhelming instinct to ghost. Like I don't want to send the text that says, hey, it was really nice to meet you, but I'm not feeling it. I know that's the mature thing to do and I've started to force myself to do it, but I I hate it so much. It's like this whole body cringe and I Sometimes after I send, I can't look at my phone for like an hour because I know they're going to text me back like, okay, no worries. And that makes me want to die. Like, feedback <laughs> is, is so hard. And I, I have to do it now for my job because part of being a therapist is being able to receive feedback and being able to practice giving and receiving feedback and giving and having conflict. So I've learned how to do it as part of a therapeutic relationship but I think outside of that I'm still super paralyzed with fear like every time my parents are like hey can we talk on the phone at three I'm like um do you hate me are you gonna disown me like what have I done wrong and they're like literally we need to talk about the phone bill or like something completely innocuous like not the phone bill is like too stressful like I don't know like we're gonna decorate the Christmas tree something so harmless but when anytime that someone says anything in a slightly feedbacky tone like I go into absolute panic mode yeah and that leads perfectly into this because I feel the same way I mean I feel fear 
now, now I'm a teacher. And so I get an email at the end of the year that says year evaluations are in. And I get that email and I can feel myself just like, ah, no, what if they all say they hate me, <laughs> you know? And I, I can feel it. And I realize I have to wait and not open that email and go take an hour to relax and open it when I'm in a better state of mind. So I literally was just filling out a teacher eval for a continuing ed <laughs> course and I didn't like the class and I just lied. I was like, yeah, it was good. And like, did, would you recommend this class? I was like, yes. But in, in Marie, I was Come like, on. no, I would never recommend this class. This was a bad class. Yeah. I think overall what we're talking about is that feedback can be really scary and something that I found very validating in graduate school is I learned about a theory by David Rock called the SCARF model. He runs the Neuro Leadership Institute and he studies neuroscience and leadership. And basically this model is all about how our brain sees social threats, the exact same as physical threats. So our brain can't really distinguish when somebody excludes you and doesn't invite you to their birthday party. It's the same as a shark coming at you in the water, right? It feels like a threat to your life and status is the S in the SCARF model, so that we want to feel good relative to others and to ourselves. And so here's the quote of what he says about feedback. In most people, the question, can I offer you some feedback, generates a similar response to hearing fast footsteps behind you at night. So essentially, feedback threatens our status and it scares the crap out of us. And I, when I read that, I, that line has stuck with me for years because it really is just so validating that that's how I feel like, Oh my gosh, I'm about to die. When somebody gives me, says I have to give you feedback. Yeah. I mean, real. And as you were saying that, like the scary footsteps, like coming up from behind you, I was just thinking about how I'm like still afraid of the dark. Like um, <laughs> I definitely remember like being like 13 or something and being like, well, I'm old now. So I'm not afraid of the dark anymore. And like telling this to myself and then like as each year passed, realizing that I am still afraid of the dark and like I'm 29 and if I'm alone in a big house, everything's dark. Like I'm running up the stairs. I'm, I'm, I'm closing the door and under the covers because what fucking monsters are in the closet? Like, I don't know. So I feel like feedback still kind of gives me that fear where it's like, it's not even the footsteps, right? It's like the idea of footsteps possibly being there. It's like, what's, what's in that dark closet? Definitely, definitely. Um, okay, so given all that, it is true that feedback is very important in many ways. And and so back to kind of my realization, okay, I got to get over myself a little bit or develop a bit of a tougher skin. So I decided to go to graduate school in organization development, and I intentionally chose a program that talked a lot about feedback and where you gave each other a lot of feedback. And I was really scared out of my mind, but I also knew I kind of needed to get over this hump. And literally the first day, I think, of the program, the one of the teachers got up and said, feedback is a gift. And I thought, yikes, <laughs> it's going to be a long program. <laughs> and I think I even said something like, you know, I don't always see it as a gift. I, I see it as really scary. And they were like, it is a gift. I was like, okay, geez. And, and I'm finally at the place where I can recognize 
the value of feedback, but it's still not easy. And I don't think it ever will be. It's I have ways to manage it and ways to do it. And I'm not quite as scared, but it, it's pretty rough. So we got some letters that relate to feedback in some way that we want to read through. And we'll do our best given, given what we've learned and given our own battles with our own demons in the darkness of feedback. All right, I'll read the first one. I was recently looked over for a promotion at my job. For the past few months, I have taken on greater and greater responsibilities, and I felt that I was deserving of a promotion for my efforts. When I spoke with my boss about this possibility, she responded with a list of reasons why she disagreed, ranging from institutional to performance-related reasons, which seemed to conflict with my earlier positive feedback that I had been consistently receiving. Her response came as a complete surprise to me as she had never mentioned these issues previously. I now feel extremely discouraged to go into work and face her, and I've been trying to avoid conversations with her. I know that this is not sustainable, but the conversation left me feeling very uncomfortable, and I'm not sure how to continue with the same motivation I had before. I've tried asking for specific feedback and guidance to improve, but the feedback has seemed vague and inconsistent, and I'm concerned that by asking for feedback, I'm only bothering my boss further by and exacerbating the problem. I know that this dynamic is not sustainable, but I'm not sure how to proceed. <sighs> I definitely feel for this person a lot. That was kind of my first, my first thought when I read this letter. Yeah, I was just like, wow, that is painful. And that's what I got. Like, damn, that's a shitty situation. <laughs> yeah. And I think the first thing to do is just validate that your boss made a mistake. And the, the mistake is that if they had concerns with your performance, they absolutely should have made that clear in your performance review. And likely before that, they should have told you. And the truth of it probably is that your boss isn't that good at giving feedback, right? Like we talked about, a lot of people avoid it and it's really scary and they probably were scared to say it. And they probably did what Hannah was saying she did on that review of she kind of had some qualms, but just said, oh no, you're doing great. And then you come away, of course, thinking I did a good job. There's nothing wrong. So that is absolutely on your manager. And that's a bummer. And anybody who is a manager listening to this, be honest in your performance reviews. And in fact, give feedback in the moment. Don't build it up for a year and then dump it on them all at once, right? If somebody isn't doing something, it is your responsibility as a manager to say something. And I know it might suck and you might be like us and feedback does not come naturally to you, but it is time to sign up for a management class or coaching or something because you have to be able to do it to be effective. So that's my soapbox. I will now step off from there. <laughs> yeah, no, I think... This is a good example of why giving feedback is important and you shouldn't just avoid it. Um, I think, you know, sometimes we say the word manager, like we're like, they're a manager, like they should know how to do this. So like they're a manager, it's their job. And I think one thing we forget is that managers usually aren't trained on interpersonal skills in the cur current corporate system we have. I mean, it's not like you get it in college, it's not like you get it in high school, it's not like you really get it on the job training most of the time so managers 
aren't necessarily any better at interpersonal stuff than anybody else. They were just good at their job and got promoted. So while it is their responsibility, it doesn't mean that they're good at it. Yeah, absolutely. So I do have a couple thoughts for the letter writer of what are some things that they that's in their control of what they can do. So I think the first one is they're kind of saying it seems like it's so tense and they're kind of saying if I ask for more or bring this back up again, I'm going to increase the tension. What should I do? And I think that there is some benefit to maybe trying to lighten up the relationship a little bit and just things like, you know, can you talk about anything else? Sports, holidays, hobbies, give them some compliments, talk about podcasts you like. Something to maybe get back to a little bit more of a neutral relationship. When you're in a dynamic of I'm so frustrated with you or I'm avoiding you or it's so intense, sometimes you can kind of exacerbate that if you just keep every conversation is tense and every conversation is serious. So I do think there might be a little benefit to just, you know, easing off a little bit. I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? Um, I think that that is really good advice but I also was just kind of laughing in my mind because it's like it's like the tale as old as time almost of like what do you do when you have a disagreement and it's like avoid talk about any safe topic right it's like you're going to Thanksgiving with your family it's like don't talk about politics don't talk about religion um just like keep it safe and so um we're not saying just keep it safe overall but like I think that is a super good idea to like get it get it smooth right create some positive interactions and let um yeah I almost when I heard you say that I was like yes let's just do this the whole time so that you can just keep avoiding <laughs> yeah. feedback forever I yeah, love no, your shirt so much <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no yeah it's not forever but I know that when I'm in a tough dynamic with somebody sometimes it helps even when you ask silly questions of like what movie did you watch this weekend it, when they have their answer, it's hard to hate someone when they say, oh, I watched The Great British Baking Show. And you say, me too. And and suddenly there's a little bit of a connection. So see if you can bring that back a little bit. And also maybe you will kind of cool off internally if you give this a couple of weeks to kind of recover. So that's that's maybe step one. Step two is that your manager was not clear with you about what you didn't do well and that's a bummer and clearly there's they have some ideas of what you could be doing better and they've given you some vague and weird answers which kind of sucks but you kind of have to be a detective and really think okay what could it be that I could improve and the feedback isn't necessarily true I mean it could be that your boss just doesn't like you or everyone else thinks you're doing great. It might, it might be that most of that feedback isn't even true at all, but is there one little sliver that you think, yeah, I maybe could have done this better. And if that is the case, I would think about that and think about how can you improve and how can you visibly improve and potentially even bring that back to your boss at a later point of you said, well, I'll just make something up. You said I needed to be proactive and I did take that to heart and started this project, you know? So See if you can, even though your boss did it completely wrong, see if you can think of maybe some aspect of it that might be a little bit true. 
Yeah, I and think that's I, a good idea. Whenever I've gotten feedback, I feel like I, originally I just hate it so much, and I think it's the dumbest thing in the world. This is like from past job reviews. But looking back, I I definitely see their perspective and see they had a point. But um, I was just so clouded by rage and shame that I I didn't want to think about the feedback at all because it felt hurtful to me. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I think I can. I know I can be very defensive when I get feedback. And so sometimes when I take a minute and think about it, I can hone in on, mm, I could see how they would think this, or this part might be a little true. And it does does hurt to admit that I'm not a perfect human being, but it is good for growth. Um, okay. I think the next thing is instead of asking what went wrong, ask what they want to see from you. So this is kind of a classic positive psychology, appreciative inquiry method. And um, that's very, it's very hot right now in like the coachy therapy space. And sometimes it's like a little overdone, but I do think that this is one area where it really makes sense. And one of my teachers described it to me in maybe the clearest way. And they said, do you know how when you go to a museum and you see a sign that says, don't touch, and suddenly you really want to touch it, even if you're like a really goody two shoes, you're like, oh, the urge, it's there, touch, right? And she said that the reason is your brain can't conjure a negative image. So your brain says, touch, oh, wait, don't do that. And so what you should say instead is, please keep your hands to yourself. Because that's what means your automatic reaction is to put your hands down by your side. And we do this all the time, right? We say, don't be so lazy or don't whatever. There's a lot of don't do this. And even with feedback, we often go to the problem of you. your PowerPoint's a bit sloppy, right? Or whatever it is. And what you want to do is instead say what the behavior that you want. So I want the PowerPoint to look really clean and modern and professional. So what you could do, and maybe you've already done this and it didn't work, but if not, what you could say to your boss is, all right, I really care about this company and I really want to work here. I would love to work here long-term. And I think for me, you know, getting promoted would be part of that. And the the promotion I want for X and Y reason, I really would want it the next time an opportunity comes up. What would you like to see me do in order to be ready to get that promotion? And potentially the nice thing about this is that it can make it a bit easier for the person, especially if they're avoidant of saying anything negative, to say what they want to be positive. And they might say something like, great, we really want to see you just really be present on the team and really just hop on more projects and take more initiative. Now, that still might not be 100% clear, and that's where you might have to go back to the detective thing again of, okay, they said I'm not super involved in the team, and you just have to think about, okay, what does that mean? And what are the times that I could engage more with the team? And maybe it's that you don't always go to the Zoom happy hours and it's time to go to those things. Or maybe if it's not taking enough initiative, maybe you want to get in a couple task forces or projects or volunteer to be a trainer or something like that. So that's that's one of my ideas. Yeah, I think the, the positive psychology approach here 
it definitely makes sense and people are less defensive when you ask them genuinely what could i do better rather than um hone in on the negative and not i think this is very true in communication even like i think sometimes when we talk about like positive psychology it's like just smile and be happy and then you won't be depressed like that's a totally different thing um so but this you know interpersonally it definitely makes sense to to try to reframe things in a what can I do way yeah definitely and I think if all else fails you know it might be time to evaluate do you really want this job right and is this manager really one that's going to help you grow and I think if this is a a really awesome job for you and you really love it, then I think it is time to do some of the things we said. And when you talk to your manager, even making that clear of, I care so much about this company. I've wanted to work here for so long and I love them this and this about it. And I do think that that can genuinely shine through and people will then want you to succeed. Or if you're like, yeah, you know, this is kind of a two-year job and I've been here for a year and a half, then eh, maybe it's just time to start looking for something else. Definitely. Um, Okay, so we're going to move on to letter number two, which I'm going to read right now. The letter writer says, I chose to work for a family friend who convinced me that my role would be really great, but I've come to realize that she does not really care about her business much, and that has really impacted the employees. She seems unwilling to train me, assign me tasks, or guide me. I have no ideas that I share with her, but they get shut down without a chance. Do you have any advice on how I approach my boss to have more opportunities and explain what I need from her? I don't want to ruin the relationship we have, but I also don't want to hate working for her. Um, first, I think that definitely sounds like a tough situation. And I think one thing that might make it harder is that you're working for a family friend. And I think it can be hard to transition from a friend relationship especially a family friend relationship where they might see you you know maybe they're friends with your parents or someone else and maybe they see you as kind of young and they don't maybe see you as an employee or you don't see them as an employer and so that can make the situation harder to really transition and you know, it can be even harder to give feedback or receive feedback because you already have that established relationship. Yeah, I think that's definitely true about the family friend dynamic. And I think this is a common dynamic overall. I think it's more common for people maybe right out of school starting new jobs and the realization that a lot of companies don't have good training or don't have good systems or don't have good task management or delegation, all that kind of stuff. And you're just kind of thrown in on your own. And that can be a very unfun situation to be in for sure. And I know I found myself in those situations and it is tough. And I know a lot of people have for sure. I I do think though that this person is saying, I've come to the conclusion basically that this person who owns a business doesn't really care about their business. And I would challenge that because I, I, a couple things. One is that most people start a business because they really care, right? So there aren't a ton of business owners who are very apathetic about their business. So that's one thing. The other thing is that I think 
everybody is kind of the hero of their own story. Most people don't go around thinking, I'm a horrible boss because I don't care about people, right? Or most people don't go around thinking, I'm a horrible employee because I slack a little bit. Most people have reasons for why they do the way that they do. And often most people are the hero of the story and other people are the villain, right? So there's basically, especially in employee manager dynamics, there's always two sides to the story and it can really help to put yourself in the head of the other person of what are they thinking right now? And I could pretty much guarantee it's not, I don't care about my business or care if it succeeds, right? It's, it's another story. So I think, try to think about what else could it be? And some thoughts, it could be a lot of things, right? We don't, and we don't have enough information to know, but at least right now, and when this person wrote in, it was during COVID. So most business owners are probably not very happy right now, right? There's a lot to stress about. There's a lot to worry about. So potentially they're off worrying about that versus thinking about training you as much. Or as Hannah said, maybe in their head, they're super experienced and you're just kind of a lowly family friend and they're actually doing you a favor by giving you a job, right? And so potentially even think about how could you be the villain in their story? And I'm sure you're an amazing employee and super great. And there might be some things about you that's triggering them, right? I know that a lot of people, especially who've run a business for a long time, who have been in an industry for a long time, can get a little triggered when somebody new comes in and has all these ideas, right? Because it can make them feel maybe a little bit defensive or incompetent. And then they can think, who are you to think that you know anything, right? Because I've literally been doing this my whole life and you've been doing it for about five seconds and those five seconds I gave you, right? And I'm not saying that that's necessarily a super healthy way to think. And yet it isn't, if you think about it from their perspective, it's a super understandable story. And sometimes I like to think I'm usually the young person in the situation who is kind of in this letter writer's shoes. And yet sometimes I think about how am I going to feel in 40 years when I've been coaching forever and some 22 year old comes in and tries to tell me how to do, you know, I probably would not be thrilled. Yeah. I think that the age thing is really real here. It sounds like the letter writer is, is a lot younger than the, the boss. And I think, I think a lot of people do feel frustrated when somebody new and young comes in and is giving maybe what feels like unsolicited advice or ideas and, um, yeah, unfortunately I could, I could see how the manager would easily be thinking that. And that might be part of why they're just shutting down the ideas or ignoring you, um, not taking them seriously. It's probably not because they don't care about yeah. the business. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So what should the letter writer do? I have a couple thoughts. One is that she could basically ask the business owner to chat with her about the business. So it could be coffee or Zoom and basically ask them, you know, what's your favorite part about running the business? Or what's the hardest part? Or what did you wish you knew when you started, you know, all those years ago? Or what's it, what's advice you have for somebody like me who's trying to start a business? And I think that might work for a couple of reasons. One is that almost similar to the first letter, you can kind of rebuild the relationship a little bit, get that relational aspect going. Two, it might give you some insight into what's going on for them to help you change that story of they're this kind of 
person who doesn't care to something else. And the other is I do think that people, if it's in that dynamic that Hannah and I just talked about of the person's feeling a little bit like you might not respect them for their expertise and their knowledge, then it puts you back in the di- that dynamic a little bit where you showing that you do respect them and you do understand that they have really valuable experience and you do want to be mentored by them. So that's one idea. The other, of course, is that you can give feedback. Woohoo! As we're discussing on this podcast. So something you could do is, this is kind of the most straightforward way to give feedback. And it's basically, I feel X, the X being a feeling word. So frustrated, angry, upset, disappointed, mad, sad, all those lovely feelings. And then you say about why, you know, what's, why, what's the stimulus for you feeling that way? And you never want to say, you made me feel sad or you made me feel bad. It's always owning, I feel this way, right? And here's a couple other things before we get to what you'd actually say. You do want to have the right circumstance to give feedback. So let's say a customer just came in and they're really upset and then you want to go talk to your boss right then? No, right? Or just a crisis just happened? No. You want to wait until it's calm. You have some time. You also want to do this one-on-one and in-person if possible. If you're, obviously it's sometimes harder in COVID, so maybe on the phone, um, but certainly not over text and avoid over email, right? You want to hopefully have some human interaction. And you might say something like, hey, I do you have a sec, right? Once again, it's that have a sec. And then they're probably, think about, they're probably going to be triggered like we just talked about. So they're probably going to be on edge, but sometimes you got to do it anyway. So, hey, do you have a sec? And then say something like, you know, I've been feeling a little bit disappointed when I started this role. I thought I was going to learn X and Y, and I feel like I maybe haven't done that yet. I would really love to learn those things. And so if there's any way I could get a little bit more responsibility, I would really love that. Yeah, I think asking for feedback or giving her feedback is a good idea there. And if you aren't ready to do that, another step is figuring out how you can try to get information about what you should or could be doing from another way. So, you know, we talked about how your boss isn't giving you a lot of training, which unfortunately really does happen a lot in the working world. It definitely happened to me when I had my first few jobs and I I felt like I was in this total sink or swim situation. I was super frustrated, but I eventually did start asking other employees for help training me, which, I mean, they probably were frustrated because it wasn't their job, but I was just trying to do what I had to do. And, you know, if possible, I don't know what situation you're in. Like, can you be Googling things and looking up how-to videos and figuring out what to do there? And I personally hate doing that. Like, I hate training myself because I want somebody to teach me and hold my hand and tell me exactly what I need to do so I can do it perfectly. But sadly, that's not how most of the working world works. So if possible, are there ways outside of your boss that you could figure out a bit more of your role or how to be productive? I think too, this person says that she has some ideas, but the person isn't super open to them. So another way to think about feedback is just how to have really direct communication. And so you could literally say that 
basically that same thing to her of, you know, I feel like I've had a couple ideas of how I want to improve the business and I'm not really sure if I'm saying it th- them at the right time or if they're helpful to you or not. If I have ideas, what's the best thing for me to do? And that's also, it's kind of combining the feedback plus the appreciative inquiry of how do you want me to do this? And potentially they'll say, you know what? I just am in a place with COVID where we're trying to sink, like we're dying and I honestly can't do anything new right now. And I appreciate you have ideas, but I just don't have capacity for that. And then you kind of at least know, okay, that's why. And I'm not going to say ideas anymore. Or maybe they'll say, can you make a list and give them to me every week, you know, or something, at least you'll have a structure for how to do that. So that's one other idea. Yeah. I think one thing there that Sam mentioned that is a good thing too, is kind of calling out the situation itself a bit, you know, Sam's saying in her example, I feel like I've given you feedback a few times and blah, 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 like, calling out the awkwardness or the discomfort in a not like a are you mad at me because that's not super professional sadly but um you know acknowledging that there's been some tension in a professional way can I think help diffuse some of the tension yeah Hannah I think you just named exactly that calling out the situation and I think that's something that when, when I first started to do it, it felt really strange. Like, oh, I'm allowed to talk about how I'm feeling when this is happening. Instead of just sitting here awkwardly, I can say, I'm feeling a bit awkward right now. And that felt very revolutionary. And I think the more that you can start to do that in this and every other relationship, the better. And it's sometimes the best way to use feedback of just saying, I'm feeling some type of way. How are you feeling about it? It's it's maybe a less, it's less personal of, I'm upset and here's why. And it's more just checking out, checking out the situation and inviting somebody to comment because potentially they're feeling some type of way as well. All right. Ready for letter three? All right. I have our last letter for the day. I work in a public library that has recently reopened to the public. Many COVID risk mitigation procedures are in place And these are more stringent than any retail environment I've been in, not that I've been frequenting many. Yet, there's still no question that inviting the public into our building and emphasizing in-person browsing and checkout at the expense of our wildly successful no-contact takeout service puts staff and the public at a greater risk than when we were closed. That's the context. Here are the questions. How can I respond authentically to people who express joy at being in the library and face-to-face with and face-to-face with me again when I'm low-key freaking out about it all day? And more existentially, how do I cope with working for an organization that is usually benevolent and beloved, but which I now feel may be actively harming people? (sighs) This is a tough one. It's such a hard situation, and I'm sure this is not the only person feeling this way. I mean, I think COVID has put so many people in really tough spots, especially frontline workers or people who are actually in person. Uh, You and I are fortunate enough not to be in that situation. So we are definitely very privileged and lucky. And to be honest, when I first read this letter, I kind of thought, 
do I have anything to say? Because this is such a crappy situation and there's no, you know, perfect right answer. So we'll just acknowledge that. I don't know. What were your first thoughts? Yeah, I think my first thought when I read this was just, I really felt this sense of betrayal from the letter writer to the library that this beloved and good institution in their eyes had was now putting people at risk and and how much that hurt. And I think there's some dual work to do here. One is I is acknowledging how shitty this is and how scary it is. There are so many people who've had to go back to work and been at greater risk. And yeah, like Sam said, we haven't had to do that. So, you know, it's hard to just give any kind of advice about just like acceptance because that's not a situation that we have to accept. Um, But it seems like you're going to keep working there and you're almost like, how do I keep my spirits up? How do I not just feel this sense of resentment and betrayal and no joy when when people come in and say oh my god i'm so excited to be back here okay so first thoughts because this is the feedback episode i do want to talk about the options for giving feedback here and i definitely don't want to say that you should or that you have to give feedback because there's a lot of reasons why maybe you decide you won't want to but i just it That was the first thing that came to mind when I read this letter of what to potentially do, because I think in this case, my assumption is that the library made this decision without really consulting the staff, and you certainly feel uncomfortable, and there's probably some other staff, honestly, who feel uncomfortable, and so you certainly could share that, and that could be with your boss or your boss's boss. And I don't know if your organization has any kind of ways where they ask for feedback, like surveys or little suggestion box or anything like that. So you could do it that way. Or if not, you could decide to potentially pull your manager aside and say, you know, I know that the organization is excited that we're back in person and a lot of our customers are. And I love the library. I wish, you know, it's so beautiful to be here. And once again, it's that I feel X because Y. And it's, I feel pretty uncomfortable being back. And I I just don't know if I feel right about being here and asking other people to be here in person with COVID. And I think you could even say, especially because it's, like you said, your service, it's easier in person, but you had a really good system otherwise even saying like, I feel like our other system was working really well and I feel like it's an unnecessary risk. So that's one thing you could do. Yeah, I think that's definitely a really good way to frame that feedback. I think one thing to think about before you do is what do you want to get out of potentially saying that? Because given that this is a public institution that you know, might be tied to the state or to a city, it's probably going to be tough to change anyone's mind by giving feedback. It's, you know, it's a little bit easier to be more flexible if it's like a startup or a small business with less red tape. So if you do want to give that feedback, is it to say your piece? Is it to 
express the the feelings of the employees or is it you know would you only want to say it if you felt like it was going to change something and think about how realistic is it that my perspective is going to change this governmental institution yeah absolutely that's a hundred percent you're still my next point because that's what i was gonna say yeah because i i think that there's there's probably a good chance that this wouldn't necessarily change anything in terms of the outcome and so you might decide eh, it's not worth it because there is a political riff risk often to giving feedback where you hope that everybody's great at receiving feedback and sees it for what it is which is trying to help and all that jazz and unfortunately, a lot of people might get defensive or might treat you differently. So it might not be worth the political risk. It also, it could be cathartic, right? You're talking about how you're kind of sitting there feeling fake and phony and you're not really sure how to be yourself. This could potentially help where at least you know you've said your piece. And even if it's one step in a mile that you don't think it's going to make a big difference, at least you did what you could. So that could be a reason to do it. Mm-hmm, definitely. I think that the other thing you could think about, it, this is one step further, right, in the political risk category and the risk for yourself is you could say, I'm not coming in, right? You could say, I don't, I don't feel comfortable here and I get that you still need to be open, but I'm going to work from home or I'm only going to do the no contact delivery because... I need to stay safe. And that risks you potentially losing your job, right? Which maybe that's totally out of the cards for you financially or with what's going on. So you can totally ignore that advice if it doesn't work for you. But it is something you could do if you're willing to take that risk. And I think even potentially saying, no, I don't want to do that because I really love this job and I want to stay here or I need this job, so I'm going to stay here. I wonder if even that decision might help because I think part of the challenge is that this is out of your control and you didn't make this choice, but you have to go along with this choice. So sometimes even setting up these decisions of should I say something or should I quit and then making the intention, no, I'm going to stay and here's why can kind of be a choice in itself. So you can maybe feel a little bit more at peace with it if you know the reason that you're staying. I think I think my last thought is kind of one of the questions is um, how do I be how do I express joy even when I don't really feel it and and that's a tough one and I also think it's it's also just like part of the customer service industry in general right is that's emotional labor of potentially not being happy and having to kind of fake it and pretend that you're happy. And that kind of sucks and it's hard. And I wonder if maybe it might take the pressure off a little bit that like you're not authentically joyous. So stop trying to be authentically joyous, right? You can just either fake it or be a little grumpy and not feel the pressure to be, you know, to feel the joy that you don't actually feel. Yeah. That's a good point. All right. Did we do it? Oh, wait, no. I had something else to say. Oh, okay. Uh, Well, please continue. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, we talked a bit before about the letter writers feeling a betrayal towards the library. And one thing, you know, you could do, like, 
I don't want to diminish the fact that you you have a right to feel pissed. You have a right to feel angry. But if you do, you know, you want to stay and you're like, okay, how can I shift my mindset? I think a potential reframe is put the blame higher up. Like all these different local businesses have had to make these really tough choices to stay open during COVID. I know, you know, public libraries may be a little different because it's, you know, it's maybe got a different funding stream and it sounds like no contact was working, which is part of why this is frustrating. But, you know, lots of really beloved restaurants have opened and coffee shops and bookstores and all these places that you like, all these employees that you like or business owners that you really respect have had to make these tough choices where they are putting themselves or their employees at risk to stay open because they just don't have another option. And so thinking about it, like, should I be mad at this restaurant owner or should I be mad at the people who are really responsible, Donald Trump and his cronies, who are the ones who really fucked this up for everybody in America, right? Like, I think in the pandemic, there's been a lot of focus on individual responsibility, like this person isn't wearing a mask or this state is doing a bad job or this city has a really bad case. Like, you know, a lot of diffusion of responsibility. I think that's one thing that's very American, right? We're really big into individual responsibility. We're really big into state responsibility. But honestly, what we needed was a federal pandemic response. And that would have made it so that the library owners or any other business owners didn't have to make this choice. And I think sometimes when I blame the top dogs who suck and are terrible, it makes it ha- makes me have more compassion for the middle people, right, who are just trying to make these really tough choices. And one other thing I think about is I think there's so much confusion about what is safe. Um, you know, you say that the library has really good protocols. And I think that some people legitimately feel like, oh, we're masks, we're distance, we're using hand sanitizer, like, we're good, we're keeping our employees safe. And then some people feel like the only way that I'm safe is if I'm home, right? If I'm not in public at all. And so I, I think that it sounds like you really feel like you want to be working from home, which obviously is the safest thing. Um, and I, I don't even know, like, I don't even know what's right or wrong. Like definitely sometimes I'll read certain articles and have certain data. That's like, yeah, masks are the best. Like, you know, if we're just wearing them, it will be okay. And then sometimes it's like masks aren't quite enough. So just never go anywhere ever. And I'm like, I don't know which one's real. And so, you know, it's possible that they're not thinking that they're putting their employees in danger. They're just thinking everyone's opening up and taking these safety protocols. And these are the safety protocols that we're taking. Definitely. And that kind of actually reminded me of what we said, the second letter of everyone has their own story, right? And so they're probably thinking the business is struggling. Are we, we have to open and we want to serve our customers and all these things of what what are they saying? And it is safe for people. That's their story. And so sometimes it can, I don't know, create more empathy of, I get why they had to make this call. Yeah. 
but I'm sorry. Yeah, I mean, I'm saying that and I'm like, ugh, I would hate myself if I gave that advice because you're probably like, I wouldn't want to be in that situation. I definitely wouldn't. And I think a lot of people don't and they're stuck and trapped. So I am sorry too. It is really hard, really, really hard. All right. Well, that wraps up our, our feedback episode. Yeah. So, <laughs> Ended on a sad note there. I know. Yeah. God, COVID really ruins everything. Um, but yeah, I mean, make I, feedback even harder, even worse. <laughs> I think I personally feel a little bit less afraid of feedback after listening to Sam's points. So hopefully you do too. But know that, you know, if it does really stress you out, you're, you're in good company. You're not alone. All right. Well, thank you everyone so much for listening and we will see you next time. Yes. Tune back in. We love you. Goodbye. Thank you so much for listening. Yeah, and thank you for sharing your stories. And if you want, if you have a story and you want to write in, please do. You can write in at closelyrelatedpodcast.gmail.com. That is closelyrelatedpodcast at gmail.com. And are you sitting there thinking, should I write in? I don't know. Like maybe they have too many people write in already, or maybe my thing isn't cool enough. Yes, you write in now. We want you. Also, it's completely anonymous, uh, but please put in the email your pronouns so we know how to refer to you and also if you're listening please subscribe rate the podcast or write a review on whatever platform you listen to it really helps it does um to learn more about the show you can check us out at closelyrelatedpodcast.com or if you want to learn more about coaching with me you can go to quartercrisis.com And if you want to learn about my work as a therapist, you can go to hannahstromcounseling.com. As a reminder, this show does not constitute therapy or coaching. So if you need that, please reach out to a coach or therapist in your area as soon as possible. Yeah. And this podcast is a product of Pascal Strom Consulting, LLC. Thanks again for listening. 